Central Sanford podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And thank you for joining us today. And I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and we're going to begin in verse 38. John chapter 11 and verse 38. Let's read God's Word together. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The question I have for you this morning is who's your favorite superhero? Is it Superman, Batman, Iron Man, the Black Panther, or Wonder Woman? Me, I'm a Superman. I love Superman. But, you know, this year is somewhat different. Because of COVID-19, things are a little bit different in our world when it comes to superheroes. As a matter of fact, I read this week an article from the Washington Post entitled, A Summer Without a Superhero. This summer will actually be the first time in many years that Hollywood will not release a superhero movie. The writer of the article was Elisa Rosenberg, and here's what she writes. She says... The superhero movie formula is simple. Hero appears to be riding high. Hero is temporarily humbled by supervillain. Hero regains the advantage and saves the day. Now the world, the real world, she says, has delivered a twist. The the, the COVID-19 pandemic makes these costume heroes seem powerless. See, she continues and says, viruses are a very different kind of supervillain. They can't be Hulk smashed into submission. They're a different kind of enemy, more threatening and frightening than any of the fictional PG-13 threats superhero movies have offered us in recent years. You know, despite what you and I may see to be very threatening and frightening, this virus, today we can celebrate the real true superhero of all eternity, Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear me this morning, that there is not a virus, there is not a sickness, there is no sin, no suffering, no problem that Jesus cannot and will not overcome. That's what Easter is all about, Charlie Brown. That's what we're here this morning. Now, I know that some of you, you may be watching And you may be skeptical of God's power, but my prayer is is that by the end of this message, you will go from doubting him to trusting in him. In John chapter 11, Jesus, in this story, attends the funeral of one of his best friends, Lazarus. And at the end of this funeral, he raises him from the dead. I believe that the whole purpose of this story is for those who read it and those who hear it to believe in Jesus. And so what we see this morning is that Jesus is going to deal with the doubt of two sisters, and he's going to demonstrate his glory and defeating our greatest enemy, death. 
So let's just walk through that. The first thing I want you to see are the sisters' doubt of Jesus. In verses 1 through 3, which we didn't read, we know here from reading the passage that Jesus was about a three days journey from where the sisters and Lazarus's uh, was at in Bethany. He was on the other side of the Jordan. Here we see and are reintroduced to both Lazarus, who is the sick man, and Mary and Martha, who were the sisters of Lazarus. What we understand in reading the scriptures is that Jesus was extremely close with his family, maybe, uh, as a matter of fact, maybe even considering them family himself. And so in verse number four, when Jesus gets the news that his best friend Lazarus is sick, Jesus says and declares this to his disciples that this sickness does not end in death. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, look, you're hearing the news that Lazarus is sick and almost about to die, but Jesus isn't afraid. Because Jesus is fully aware of what he's going to do. Jesus will say that it is for the glory of God that this whole thing has happened. See, Lazarus' condition had a purpose. God allowed him to go through this illness, even death, for the glory of God. You know, as we think about what's going on with COVID-19, I want you to understand, we have a God who is in control. As a matter of fact, this week, I spoke to Ethelene Owens, our, uh, one of our oldest church members, her and her husband, Jack. They're 94 years old. And she said, you have to understand, God is in complete control of everything that's going on, and we can trust in him. So maybe the question that we should be asking in times like this is not why, why God would you do this, but maybe the better question is this, how God can you get more glory in what's going on? Now, in verses 5 and 6, you would think that as soon as Jesus heard the word that Lazarus, his friend, is sick, they would immediately got on his camel and rode with his disciples all the way to Bethany without stopping. But as you read the story, many of you may be familiar with this, the Bible says that he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. He intentionally delays. He intentionally stays behind. The issue is not that he's stuck in traffic. The issue is not that he's having camel trouble. The issue is that he's intentionally waiting with a purpose. As a matter of fact, when Jesus does arrive to the scene, uh, Lazarus has already been dead for four days. One of the reasons why that is important to note is that according to Jewish folklore in first century uh, Israel, Palestine, that the, the thought was is that the soul of a person hovered over the body for three days. And after three days, the person was completely dead. So Jesus here shows up, and it's without any shadow of a doubt that Lazarus is dead. And because of Jesus' delay, the sisters of Lazarus are beginning to doubt Jesus. In verses 17 through 22, we see that as Jesus is making his approach and, and, and entering into the town of Bethany, the hometown of Lazarus, that Martha, that type A, very aggressive personality, she runs out of the house once she hears the word and rushes all the way to see Jesus. And when she sees Jesus, she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She doesn't say, hey, Jesus, what's up? She immediately gets to business. And she says, Jesus, where were you? This is your fault. If you would have been here a few days earlier, my brother, our brother, your best friend would still be alive. Now, if you continue to read in verse 22, she kind of catches herself and says, listen, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. In other words, she's saying, I know that you can do anything, but here's my question. Why were you so late? You know, in her grief, Martha is doubting the love of Jesus. Then Mary, the sister, in verses 28 through 32, who is still in the house, Martha comes back and tells her that Jesus is outside and that he wants to see Mary. 
And so Mary gets up out of the house, and in the house where the people from the, the village people were in the house, and, and the professional mourners, we'll talk about in a moment, who were grieving with her were in the house. And the Bible says that she gets up, and she goes out to meet Jesus. Now, there's a little bit different posture here. If you read what the text says, when Mary sees Jesus, she falls down. Jesus and Mary have a special relationship and that Mary is always uh, at the feet of Jesus, always listening, always learning, always showing a posture of humility. And here she comes, and I just feel like there's a different tone. I think that when Martha approaches Jesus, she's almost like I got a finger in her in his face saying, why were you late? But here Mary is like, Lord, where were you? Where were you when we needed you? You know, we have the luxury of knowing the rest of the story. But these sisters had absolutely no clue what Jesus was thinking. They had no clue what Jesus was going to do. They they had thought that Jesus loved them. They, They thought that he was a friend to them. And they believed that he could do anything. But yet in the midst of their crisis, in the midst of their pain and loss, they started to doubt him. And they're now suspicious. Lord, are are you really who we think you are? And and I think that there's just this tone within their voice of skepticism because they are seeing Jesus' delay as Jesus being indifferent to them. You know, we can be just like them. We can easily doubt that God loves us because of what's going on around us. We can easily get our theology from our circumstances and come to the conclusion that God doesn't love us. Have you ever felt let down by God? Have you ever felt confused and frustrated by what's going on around you? Has your heart ever been broken, causing you to question God's goodness and even God's existence? If God really loved me, you say, he wouldn't allow me to go through what he allowed me to go through. Maybe the sisters are saying, you know, if Jesus really loved Lazarus, why would he allow him to suffer and die? As a matter of fact, you're going to see kind of the thoughts of the people in the village. In verse 37 you're going to see that the Bible says, but some of them, this is some of the town people and the professional mourners, which, think about that. There were people in this day who were paid to cry and whine for a living. Uh, we have that today. They're just called political pundits. But here we have them, these people that are whining and crying, saying underneath their breath, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? Some of them were saying, you know what? You would think he loved them, But I'm not even sure he has the power to even do anything. Some were doubting not only God's love, but even his power. And listen, in the midst of our pain, we can doubt God's love. In the midst of our pain, we can even doubt God's power. And we can even doubt both. You know, maybe some of you have said this, you know, God, either you're all powerful, but you're not all loving, or you're all loving, but you're not all powerful. And that's, in the midst of our suffering, we ask those questions. And these are natural questions that come from a broken heart. I'm not saying that they're right, but they're natural because we're broken people. And so here Mary and Martha and these mourners are, and they're questioning Jesus' love. They're questioning Jesus' power. And now we're going to see how Jesus deals with that. How does Jesus deal with their doubts? As you read the text, Jesus addresses Mary and Martha's doubts quite differently. 
He, he meets them where they were. They, they knew uh, who Jesus was, and Jesus knew them, but he knew them better than they knew themselves. Jesus knew exactly how to respond to them and deal with their doubts and deal with their skepticism. It's not so much about what he could do for them in this moment, but he wanted to show them who he is. And, and what Jesus is going to show them is that he is the God-man that he is deity wrapped in humanity, and he knows how to meet our needs. So as you read how Jesus responds to Martha in verses 23 through 26, you'll see that Jesus responds to Martha with truth. Let's read verse 23. The Bible says, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection of the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now listen. Jesus says, your brother is going to rise again. And Martha, being a good Orthodox Jew, said, yes, I know that one day, at the last day, my brother will live again. And Jesus says, listen, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, I'm exactly what Lazarus needs. I'm exactly what you need. I'm exactly what your sister needs. I'm exactly what the world needs. See, Jesus in this moment is making two truth claims. He's saying, I am the resurrection And he's also saying, I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. That, In other words, Jesus is saying, death does not have the final word because I am the life. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And that life doesn't begin in the sweet by and by. It happens in the sweet now and now. And so if you have me, Jesus says, you have life. See, Jesus is not a prophet who shows you how to find God. Jesus is God who came to find us. So to be a Christian, you must believe that Jesus is God. Jesus in this passage is saying, I am God Almighty. This is a truth statement. I don't just resurrect the dead. I am the resurrection. Jesus says, I am the life. I don't just give life, I am the life. And so for you and I to believe, just for us to believe that life happens after death is not anything novel. Most everybody believes that that there's life after death. But to believe that there is no real life and there is no resurrection apart from Jesus, that's what makes the difference. That's the truth that all of us need in our suffering. You know, just this, uh, just this week, I, I was talking to a man who has stage four colon cancer. And I was talking to him on the phone and praying with him on the phone. And, and he's a believer and he loves the Lord. And, and he's in this moment of grief and, and processing these things, is questioning what God is doing. And, and one of the truths I wanted to share with him, and I believe is something that we all need to hear, is that if you are a Christian... You are a winner either way, that even though you die, you are not dead. As a matter of fact, you're more alive than ever before. There is no fear of death for those who are in Christ. You know, this uh, a few months ago, Jonathan Evans, I think it was around January, who is the son of Lois and Tony Evans, spoke at his mother's funeral. And um, Lois Evans went through a horrific ordeal with cancer. And at this funeral, he talked about how he prayed for God to heal his mother. And, and he said that, that it seemed like that those, those prayers went seemingly unanswered. 
But then he said that it was as if God told him, and here's what he said in the quote. He said, this is what God told him. Just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean I didn't answer the prayer anyway. And he concluded that God did in fact answer his prayers. That either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. It was in that moment that he had comfort knowing that his mother is alive. That's what you and I need. We need the truth of the gospel that Jesus is the resurrection and the life in the midst of our doubts. But the second way that Jesus deals, for Martha, it was truth. For Mary... It's tears. Jesus is going to respond to Mary with tears. In verses 28 through 35, you'll notice this, that when when she had said this, that's Martha, she went and called her sister Mary and said in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not be dead. It's as if they had rehearsed the same thing. And when Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply troubled in his spirit and deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And in verse 35, Jesus wept. She says the same thing as her sister said. But Jesus in that moment doesn't give her a truth statement. Jesus gives her a hug. He walks with her in her sorrow and in her pain points her to his love. He weeps. It's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Maybe many of you, this is one of your verses that you memorized. Jesus wept. The word here is to burst out into tears. Jesus lost it. And in this moment, Jesus shows his humanity. He shows his love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Now think about this. Just a few minutes earlier, he told Martha that he is the resurrection and the life, declaring that he is God. Jesus knew that just in a few moments, he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But yet when he comes to Mary, he doesn't smile with confidence. He weeps with her. He doesn't look to Mary and say, suck it up, buttercup. He doesn't say, stop crying, I'm going to make this better. Jesus in this moment is vulnerable. Jesus breaks down at the weight of Mary's grief in the shadow of the grave. And listen, this doesn't mean that Jesus was weak, but it means that he was compassionate. That here in this moment, we see the humanity of Jesus on display. One of the great truths that maybe many of you don't understand is that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. So much God as if he wasn't man, and so much man as if he wasn't God. And the question you may be asking is that why in this moment did Jesus weep? You want to know why? Because in that moment, that's what Mary needed. She didn't need a ministry of truth. She needed a ministry of tears. She needed a wonderful counselor. She needed someone to comfort her and to weep with her. 
See, Jesus' tears transforms her view of Jesus. He is not just her Lord. He is her friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. See, Jesus doesn't always keep us from suffering. But he has promised to go through the suffering with us even though he knows it's temporary. Jesus weeps with us. He fully identifies with our frail humanity and he doesn't always give us the answers, but he always gives us his presence. And he weeps with us. See, here's a beautiful truth. Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. He gives us truth, but he also gives us tears. See, Jesus knew exactly how to deal with these two sisters. Martha needed truth. Mary needed tears. And often you and I need both. If you begin to doubt God's love, turn to the truth of the Bible. Turn to the truth of the gospel. If you need comfort in the midst of your tears, then understand that Jesus weeps with you. He cares for you. He is gentle and lowly. Jesus knows exactly what you need. And we see that these two sisters doubt, but Jesus deals with their doubt. And now, he's going to demonstrate his glory. In verse 38, the Bible says, Then Jesus deeply moved again. That word has already been used by John, and it's a word that many people have maybe struggled to translate. The, the literal translation would be this. To, to translate deeply moved would be this. To bellow with anger. To, to be outraged. Jesus when he gets to the tomb, is raging. He is roaring. He is furious. He comes to the tomb. And the question is, well, what is he angry at? Is he angry at the unbelief of Mary and Martha and the mourners? Or is he angry at something else? You know what I believe his anger was? I believe his anger was directed at death. Jesus looks at the loss of life. He looks at the loss of the loved ones. He looked at the pain of separation, and he is angry. He is angry at evil and suffering. He is as mad as can be at death. Why? Because he did not create a world filled with sickness and suffering and death. All of those things are a result of the fall. Jesus came into this world to deal with the cause of all of our problems, and that's sin. See, your number one problem is sin. And sin is not just something that you do. The, the truth is, is that sin is something that you are. All of us, everyone watching this, this day, we're all selfish. We're proud. We're greedy. We can even be cruel have tendencies of being oppression, of oppressive, have thoughts of violence and be perverted and liars and ungrateful. We all struggle within our hearts to be in control. And if we're really honest, we're evil. And the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. That's what we deserve. And Jesus here is vividly, in this story, going to demonstrate how he deals with our problem without destroying us. In verse 39, the Bible says that Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. In the King James, it says, he stinketh. 
And no doubt, after a man who had not been embalmed was laying in a Palestinian cave, decomposing, he stinketh. But Jesus here is not worried about the smell, he's worried about glory. Now, let me give you a little more insight into burial traditions. In this day, the body was bound with linen straps, beginning at the ankles, up to the arms, and completely tied around the body. The entire body would be bound in linen grave clothes that would weigh about 100 pounds. This would be done to protect and preserve the body. The head would be completely wrapped around in about a foot diameter. So could you imagine the sight of what it looked like? So here Lazarus is in there, they open the door, and the smell comes out, but Jesus isn't worried about smell, he's worried about glory, and in verse number 40, the Bible says that Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he prays, he says, Father, I thank you that you've always heard me. Isn't that what Martha says? We know that God always hears you. But here Jesus says that out loud. He says in verse 42, I knew that you will always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. He is praying to the Father, not asking to rise Lazarus, but thanking him for what he's about to do because this, prou- this prayer was not for Jesus. This, cr- this prayer was for the crowd. And then the Bible says that when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. That is, he yelled loudly, Lazarus, come out. Now you think about that moment. In that moment, Jesus was putting his reputation on the line. Jesus was putting everything he had said up until that point in history on the line, and his reputation was on the hook. When he yelled out, Lazarus, come out. And what happened? The Bible says in verse 44, The man who died came out. Not only did Lazarus come back to life, but he was able to walk out of the tomb with a hundred pounds of linen. Now, I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if he hopped. He hopped out of the tomb because he was kind of all bound up. Or if he rolled out of the tomb, I have no idea. But all I know is that Jesus says, unbind the boy and let him go. Lazarus went from death to life to living. Do you understand this morning that we worship and believe at the feet of the one who has the power over death? Jesus can bring anyone out of death with just one word. D.A. Carson says that had Jesus not specified Lazarus by name, every tomb in Jerusalem would have given up their dead. Jesus has the power to do that. So much so that in verses 45 through 53, that the enemies of Jesus take note. Listen, they didn't have Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat or even text messaging. But word got out that a man who was once dead is now alive. A man who was thoroughly dead because he had been dead for four days, his body had already been decomposing, was alive. And the religious establishment who hated Jesus essentially says this. We don't have time to read it. But he says, Jerusalem, we have a problem. Jesus is raising dead people. And that's really hard to spin. Fox News, CNN, MSNBC couldn't spin that one. And they say together, we have to kill both Lazarus and Jesus. Because if not, everyone's going to believe in him. 
and we're going to be in trouble. And so in that moment, from that moment forward, they are on their red-hot pursuit to crucify Jesus. Now that tells you a couple things. Number one, it tells you this. There's no denying. Even Jesus' enemies did not deny this happened. It wasn't some sort of uh, a weird experience where Lazarus was maybe halfway dead or was unconscious. No, the boy was dead. He stinketh. But the second thing is this. Jesus knew this was going to happen. Jesus knew that if he raised Lazarus from the dead, that the religious establishment would kill him. Jesus knew that the only way to bring Lazarus out of the grave was to put himself in the grave. And I'll tell you, according to Tim Keller, who made this quote, he said, the same is true for us. If Jesus is going to save us from sin and death, he's going to have to die himself on the cross to bear our judgment. And Jesus knew that this was going to happen, and yet he said, Lazarus, come out. The observers said, see how much... He loved Lazarus when they saw Jesus wept. But we today, we have not only seen Jesus weep, but we look to the cross. And today we look to the cross and say, Behold how much he loved us. Jesus loved us enough to die for us so that any of us who puts our trust in him will never truly taste death. He took our sin and our sorrow and he made them his very own. He bore our burden to Calvary and he suffered and died alone. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, how marvelous is his love for us. See, this miracle of Lazarus was actually a foreshadowing event of Jesus' resurrection. Just a few days, a few weeks, Jesus would die, but yet he would live. And in doing so, he shows us that everyone who puts their faith and trust in him will also live. So where you are, you may be weighed down by sin. You may be wrapped up in guilt. You may be buried, you may stink, you may be decaying. Because the truth is, we're all sinners. We're a shadow of the person we were meant to be. But I remember that day. I remember that day when Jesus called my name. And he said, Alan, come out. And I came running out of death. Listen, if you are a Christian, it's because Jesus called your name. He called you out of sin. He called you out of death. He called you out of the tomb. And listen, if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're still dead. But the good news is, Jesus has the power to overcome your sin. He has the power to overcome your fears and your guilt and your shame. Jesus is going to ask Martha one question. Do you believe this? And Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe. You know, Martha didn't know what Jesus was going to do. She didn't know everything. But the one thing she did know is that Jesus is God. Jesus is her Lord And Jesus is her Savior. And you know what? That yes, Lord, is all it takes. 
That yes can change your life. That yes can change your eternity. Jesus can take you from death and bring you into life. So the invitation to you this morning is to believe and trust in Jesus. Can you hear him calling your name? Can you hear him calling you out of the grave of sin and death and shame? If so, run to Jesus. Run to the Father. Don't delay. He loves you. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite you now in this time to run to Jesus. It's no accident that you happen to be watching this service. God in this moment has strategically brought you here. And so if you're here and you feel like in your heart that you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm not saying you have to get saved again and again and again. It just takes once to give your life completely to Him. And if that's you right now, I want you to bow your head and everyone around you just bow their heads. And if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, would you pray a prayer like this? Lord Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I ask that you give me your life. I'm not saying this on the basis of what I have done, but I'm saying this on the basis of your love for me. Please forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can make it public. What we would like to have you do is, right now we're going to have a slide that has a phone number, a, message, a place where you can send a text message. The number is 407-338-4024. That's 407-338-4024. And I want to give you some opportunities here. I want you to take that number, get your phone out, and text to that number one of four letters. If you're already a Christian, then you text the letter A and then put your name there your first name or your first and last name. And put, if you have a prayer request, pray for me in this area. If you're here and you're a believer and you have trusted Jesus, but you've not taken that next step of baptism, then put the letter B and put your name there and say, I want to take that next step of baptism. But if you're here and you just prayed to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, then I want you to put the letter C. It's very important that you put the letter C and with your name, saying, I, for the first time, have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Or maybe you say, I don't have a decision today, but I feel like I need to one day. Then why don't you type the letter D, put your name, and that lets us know to be praying for you. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.